You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hi, everyone, and welcome to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. This is episode 290, dated Friday, December 30th, 2022. Happy New Year, everybody. Before we continue, allow me to introduce our good friend and colleague, who's our co-host, Peter Alchil. Peter, how's it going? Welcome to a, a sunny Columbia, Missouri. Let's see. Last time I spoke with you guys was minus 5 degrees. Yesterday was 68. Today, today is 45. You know, so welcome to a typical winter in, in Columbia, Missouri. Climate change. Anyway, allow me to thank those people who make it possible for In Perspective to be aired. We start out with Raymond Gay, our producer, who puts out a quality program. Thank you very much for doing that. Also, Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place. They post our shows on Greeting Door number 15. Thank you very much for doing that. Jacqueline Sylvia, our website designer. She archives In Perspective on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Just go there, click on In Perspective Podcasts, and you will see all most of our archives there from latest to earliest. And finally, the media outlets. We thank you very much for airing our show when you do. It's much appreciated. And merci, Jackie. I made sure you said that this time, Peter. I'm sure she loves it when you she hears that from you. So that's great. We have with us a repeat guest. He was on once before. He's a very inspirational and positive young man. Notice I said young man, Dr. Hobie Wedler. He is a chemist. He is a businessman. And he's a positive thinker. And he's very innovative and creative. And we need more of that. So thank you, Hobie, for setting a trend. Hobie, welcome back. Bob, Bob, Peter, thank you guys very much. It's an honor to be with you, and I'm just thrilled to have this opportunity to spend this afternoon and early evening with you. Great way to start the new year. Oh, thank you, Hobie. Great way to start the new year. Yeah, so happy new year, Hobie. And before we start the interview, tell us what you're doing now and... Uh, so we you, we might lose you in the middle of the mountains somewhere. Yes, absolutely. So that's why it's good that uh, that, that you and Bob are uh, are good at coming up with material on the fly. I am uh, heading up to see family in Bend, Oregon, and we were supposed to travel yesterday, but couldn't due to complications. So I'm traveling up Interstate Five, uh, just south of Dunsmuir, California, at the moment. And uh, well, what can I say? I'll do my best to be here for the whole show. We hope you will, you hope we will do it, but if not, we, we will survive as we always do. So Hobie, uh, before we start the, the basic content of the day, for those who have not heard you before, give us a capsule of who you are and your, and you know, your sort of life story. Absolutely, Peter. Thanks so much for that. I, uh, am Hobie Wedler. I've been or I've been blind since birth and, uh, you know, I have very positive parents who, did many wonderful things for me, but the two that I'll highlight here is that they always had very high expectations and never lowered the bar for me and my sighted brother, who's two years older, and they taught us to take responsibility for ourselves. They said, this is your life to live, and you need to take responsibility for your actions, and you, and only you, should be the one to own what you do. So if you do something well, you should be celebrated. If you make some mistakes along the way, you should be to blame for that. 
And that has been sort of my motto all the way through life is just taking ownership of everything that, that I've, uh, that I've done and, and, you know, really working with assistance, of course, but really having all the work that I produce be my own work. We should all so I really, way. uh, learned a lot from, from my parents. I know you all feel that way too. And it's a, it's a great place to be. Um, I fell in love with science uh, very early on. Actually, had a wonderful high school chemistry instructor who, uh, when I said I wanted to take the exam, to the placement exam, to see if I could place into honors chemistry, I think she said yes, not really thinking that I would actually get into the class. But when I was the high score on the test, she had to actually work with me to figure out how we were going to make chemistry fully accessible to me. And we worked together, and it wasn't all her, and it wasn't all me. But I'll tell you guys a story that... Um, Partway through that course, you know, she would always tell the class, hey, you should think of chemistry in college as more than merely a prerequisite. Chemistry is what we live. It's what we breathe. It's what we eat and drink. It's literally all around us. And from that day forward, I said, okay, I want to, I want to study chemistry. But when I would talk to her privately and say, hey, let's figure out how I can study chemistry and probably major in it in college, she uh told me that, oh, chemistry, I'd love to be able to help you, but chemistry is super uh, visual, and you need to have your eyesight to work in lab, and it might be a little bit impractical for you, so I don't think you should you should pursue this further. And, you know, we can make it accessible in the high school lab, and we did, with a student assistant who had taken the class the previous year, but uh, she didn't think I should, I should study it in college, and I thought, no, I've got to change her mind somehow. So I remember it like it was yesterday when I went into her classroom as the second week of January of the of the second semester, cold morning in January, and I walked into her classroom and I said, you know, I understand that you you truly believe chemistry isn't practical for me to study as a blind guy, but I have to tell you that nobody can see atoms, and chemistry is a cerebral science. She heard that and really switched 180 degrees from being someone who said maybe this isn't for you to becoming my most trusted ally and uh, collaborator and to this day uh, as a dear friend of mine uh, because I've learned so much from her. Taking that class made me want to teach chemistry. And I always have had the heart of a teacher and do have the heart of a teacher still in my in my work as a businessman now. But long story short, I don't mean to occupy all the airtime uh, guys, I ended up going to uh, University of California, Davis and uh, majoring in chemistry. I wanted to teach, and I knew I was a nerd who wanted to go to graduate school, although I really loved chemistry. Um, I didn't know how a PhD program in chemistry where I would need to do research would work for me without someone looking over my shoulder in the experimental lab, mixing chemicals, you know, 16 hours a day. So I also got a degree in something I love, which is United States history. So I had a double major there. And just when I was about to apply to history graduate programs around the state, I ended up meeting my graduate advisor, who's a computational chemist. We figured out how to make all the lab work we do fully accessible to me. And uh, I ended up, in 2011, applying to grad school, got in, and in 2016, ended up earning my PhD in organic chemistry. Um, during that process, I had the honor of teaching uh, several undergraduate classes, and I didn't want to teach advanced chemistry. I wanted to get students when they thought chemistry was this boring prerequisite on a Monday morning and make them really fall in love with it. So I wanted to teach the really young general chemistry college students. And I did. And I realized that students didn't necessarily speak chemistry as much as, as much as they could. So I ended up uh, joining forces with um, 
my life partner, now my business and life partner, we started a company designing uh, experiences and products uh, using non-visual design techniques. We love what we do. It's morphed into my consulting business as a food and beverage uh, scientist, a flavor scientist, and a sensory expert. I do. Uh, I host tasting events all around the world and uh, do a lot of international speaking as well. I also um, have a creative and marketing agency that I'm a partner at, not a day-every-day thing, but uh, I'm definitely a partner at SensePoint. We were founded in 2019 to do creative marketing work for um, brands, nonprofits, government, and uh, local education mostly. But anyone, our criteria is we will only work with people who are creating a truly positive impact in the world. That's a little bit about me, and uh, I'm sorry for hogging so much airtime, Peter. That's okay. I, so, I have so, a... so, 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 before before we go on, I just have a, a question. So, is it fair to say that you blind blind people with science? <laughs> That's blind Thomas. blind people with science. He took a uh, Hobie. He took a page out of Thomas Dolby's book. That's right. You remember that? You remember that song? <laughs> okay. You, bl- you blinded me with science. <laughs> oh, you yeah. blinded me with science. Yes. <laughs> That's a That's good right. one. It should be That's your right. theme song. Uh, Hobie, <laughs> I just wanted to know what the name of your original business was that you referred to. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you Wendler mentioned. Con- Hobie Wendler Consulting is my company, and oh. uh, Hobie's Essentials is my line of product. Is our line of products. Perfect. You have a website? Yeah. Oh, yes, I do. HobieWedler.com. H-O-B-Y-W-E-D-L-E-R.com. Oh, that's You can find enough. everything. Everything there and, and, and more. If you really want to want to want to bore yourself, you can go there. <laughs> oh, we might not be so bored though. And then we'll be blinded <laughs> by more. And then we'll be blinded by more science. You there know, you go. Uh, uh, there you go. So Hobie, um, uh, I'm sort of curious uh, about your sort of consulting uh, business. Um, and so talk a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, the business that you started in 2019. What prompted you to start the business? And sort of what are you doing these days with that? Yeah, so the consulting business uh, really started in 2017. And that's SensePoint, which is a creative marketing company, started in 2019. I'm talking about your marketing program. I'm sorry. That's what I was more interested in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want want to talk about is fine. But I was thinking about your marketing. marketing. SensePoint was founded in 2019 with uh, myself, uh, my business and life partner, Justin, and a third party who actually is based out of Adelaide, Australia, who's our creative director and runs a studio of about 20-odd people that do all our design work. And essentially, we're a full-service agency, so we offer um, graphic design services. Where I do a lot of consulting is really thinking about, okay, so we've got a great visual. How can we make this appealing non-visually? And how can we make these things pop? We um, do a lot of work with nonprofit organizations, building websites, uh, connecting with them basically as their sort of uh, contracted marketing and development and um, communications department. And we really love the work that we do because we're able to tell people stories in a really positive way. My thought about marketing, Peter, is really that, you know, anyone can market anything, but I only market things that I really like and really believe in because those are the things that are easiest to tell stories about, to connect with, and to, um, you know, easiest for me to talk about. So I only market things that I believe in, and that's why I really help our customers 
tell their story and just amplify their message, which is already positive. Is there a short story for you to tell us, or would there be time? <laughs> a short story about my marketing work? You said you tell short, you tell stories. I didn't know if there was a short one that you can tell now. <laughs> well, we tell stories of people's brands. I'll just tell you about one of our clients, which is a San Francisco-based company called Rams. And Rams uh, is is an acronym. Um, but what they do is they support uh, people who are um, not from San Francisco, not from the area, usually from international destinations, who need a hand with uh, education um, in terms of, you know, sort of cultural education, social education, and honestly, who need help putting meals on their table. So just last year, we rebuilt their entire website and helped them tell their story in a really positive way. We, they also offer uh, education for Pacific Islanders. And we built, we rebuilt all of their educational materials there for that. Just to give you a little bit of a case study of what we do. Another project, which we took on in 2019, more on the consulting side, but I think you might find it interesting was, uh, Justin and I ended up working with Barilla Pasta Company. You may have heard of them. They, uh, are, are in most, uh, retail outlets in the United States based out of Italy, but they made a sauce that was the first sauce they'd made and sold in the United States. It's not made in the United States, but actually made in Italy proper. So we uh, started working with them, had a great time working with them to tell the story from a public relations perspective of these new sauces, which each highlighted a hero ingredient. So uh, from the different main agricultural areas of Italy. So one of their sauces has basil from Genoa, which is a part of Liguria. The others, uh, one of them has tomatoes from Emilia-Romagna, which is where Barilla is headquartered. The other is oregano from Sicily. And the fourth is chili peppers from Calabria, which is a region very widely known for their chilies. And we actually took a trip and went to all these places and recorded video and audio interviews with farmers, with key stakeholders, etc. And then brought the, the hero ingredients back and let people listen to a curated version of these stories while tasting the pasta sauce and, oh, I just should just say the sauce, along with the hero ingredients that we brought back from Italy. And we made a, a good impact there. So those are just a few case studies. The first one being from the creative marketing company and the second one being from my consulting work. So Hobie, I'm, I'm curious about something. You know, I, uh, I know something about your, 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 your trajectory and you were doing this cool food tasting stuff and helping people, uh, uh, you know, learn how to be better wine consumers and you were, ready to market spices yeah. and you were doing all this cool stuff. And then you sort of add to this work, this sort of uh, marketing project. How did that happen? And how has that changed the way you think about life? You know, I've always loved getting people excited about things. Maybe they weren't excited about. So it's really that heart of a teacher thing. And I will say that my consulting relies on my, in the food and beverage industry relies on my chemistry knowledge every day. But truthfully, um, I, I love my creative side. I love art. I love telling stories in unique ways. So I, it just made sense for me to, to get into marketing. And I think of the marketing that I do more as educational. This is why you should listen to what these people are doing. And like I say, most of our marketing is for nonprofits, some for government, local government and some for education. But we're really telling those stories of truly positive value and positive impact. And I did it because... I did it because I love 
getting people excited about things that I'm excited about. So if I taste a good wine and I tell you about it and, you know, you can enjoy it and get excited about it. I do the same thing when I'm telling the story of a great new um, brand of uh, nonprofit. So what are you personally excited about these days? What am I personally excited about? Man, that's a great question. Um, I'm excited about really making a difference in, in the food and beverage industry, uh, really creating products that uh, not only satisfy people, but wow them and get them really, really excited. Um, so I can't say much more than this about it, but we're working on a project to create a clear uh, spirit that is typically brown. And uh, that's that's really with all the same flavors that it typically has. So we're really excited about that. Um, I'm also, we have a, a probable new client uh, in the blindness space, and I'm really excited to tell their stories. So I just, I love being positive. You know, this is the first year that I've gone into where work has been established as we go into the new year. And I'll tell you, that just excites me. It feels so good to know that I have stuff going on before we even hit January 1st. Do you have any of your products on the market yet? Oh, yes, I do. Um, We have two seasoning blends right now that are under the Hobie's Essentials line of product. One is a rosemary salt that is just delicious. It's uh, rosemary, a few other ingredients, including sage, just a small amount of sage, garlic, and uh, the secret ingredient is lemon juice powder. And it's made with a salt that's a very, very fine grain. So it percolates and dissolves and permeates meat much faster than any other salt. And it, it really brings its flavor through into meat and vegetables and potatoes so well. I'll tell you, the easiest roasted chicken, and in my opinion, one of the most delicious roasted chickens, is get a good quality, healthy chicken. Uh, make sure it's nice and dry before you put it in the uh, in your pan to cook. A lot of people cook meat right out of the package when it's still a little bit damp. I mean, you don't get the nice searing, browning effect from the Maillard browning reactions. Apply olive oil liberally to the chicken. Apply rosemary salt very liberally inside and out, and then roast the chicken breast up in a 400-degree oven for about an hour and 15 minutes. And it's the best three-ingredient chicken you'd ever have. The other blend... What's that, Peter? I was saying that sounds fabulous. Oh, it's delicious. The other blend is... uh, (laughs) Good. We call it happy paprika. And a lot of people think when they hear that that it's just paprika. But it's happy because it's got other ingredients in it that lift the flavor more. So it's mostly Hungarian sweet paprika, a little bit of coconut sugar, a little bit of that same salt I told you about, and then a blend of other spices, including oregano and cumin and garlic and onion and a few secrets that I can't divulge here. That makes the best scrambled eggs you've ever tasted. Just makes them pop. Scramble your eggs how you normally would and then sprinkle some of this on the top. Um... Oh, man, it, uh, one of my favorite ways to make pork chops is to coat them with mustard and then apply the happy paprika seasoning blend liberally and then roast them and it's just uh, or grill them. And they're absolutely stunning. It also really makes delicious roasted vegetables. So roasted carrots, roasted potatoes, um, any any anywhere you want to you're daring enough to use your imagination and add a boost of wonderful flavor. That sounds wonderful. Uh, we'll have to think about uh, coming over. This. Yeah, yeah, for for dinner. 
and then may, maybe uh, you helping, you market, helping, helping you market some of those products. I have some ideas. We'll talk about that off the air. Oh, that would so, be amazing. So, Hobie, I want to. Um, I know one of the topics that's that's of great importance to you is the is the uh, the value of emotional intelligence. So, talk about emotional intelligence. What that means to you. And what emotional intelligence for you consists of? Yeah. Uh, it's a very good question, Peter, and I thank you very much for asking it. To me, emotional intelligence is the ability to really understand what our minds are telling us and the way that we think, right? And, and emotional intelligence becomes hugely important when you're talking about marketing because if you can create an experience or a product to really stimulate the way someone thinks about something in a positive way, you're going to have repeat customers coming back again and again and again because people are going to be so excited about, um, you know, about what they're, what they're engaging with. So if you, you know, let's say you're, you're working with a company like, I don't know, Toyota, and you put together just the same sort of typical boring display of cars saying, oh, look at our cars at the dealership. Versus if you, if you think about a way to really go to the next level and enhance that experience and show people the sounds of the cars and the way they smell and the way the doors sound when they shut and the positive aspects of, of using Toyota as an example of this experience, it goes so far to make a positive experience. The classic example of emotional intelligence is what real estate agents have been doing for decades now when they're trying to get people positively excited about a house or a property they're selling, they'll bake cookies. Why is that important? Well, it makes the place smell good. And who's not happy when they have a cookie in their hand, right? Nobody. So you have a positive, exactly. So you have a positive feeling when you're, when you're in that space and in that environment. And, um, you know, that's my goal. That's, that's really my, my in, intention is to be very thoughtful and emotionally intelligent so that I can provide truly world-class experiences to my, to my clients and friends. Yeah. So, so the way I understand emotional intelligence is it's sort of a two prong thing. It's knowing how you think, how your weird mind works. And it's also, exactly. uh, and then it's also the matter of empathy, how other people's minds and thoughts work, uh, feelings, uh, feelings, or as I say in my book, elephants work. Um, so exactly. it, it's a combination of both and being able to use use the combination really well. And one of the things that occurs to me listening to our interview is you did a really good job of marketing your products because you knew that all of us like to eat, right? So you talked a lot about the, how, how those uh, spices that you're marketing can liven up our, our palate. Um, in ways <laughs> that make up yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so how does, how does emotional intelligence do you think tie in to uh, I know another area that 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 um, you're interested in is the whole issue of diversity and inclusion, and making uh, the whole blindness thing more, shall we say, palatable uh, to other people. No pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how how does that tie in? Yeah. With you? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question, Peter. Um, what I would say is that it really, um, if we're emotionally intelligent and we're, we allow ourselves to be more thoughtful, we realize that a more diverse group of people has a, a wider spectrum and a wider array of experiences that they bring to the table. So if you're trying to solve a problem, and by the way, running a business is literally just solving problems for people. That's the only re- I'm not an entrepreneur to get rich. I'm an entrepreneur to help the world be a better place by solving real-world problems that people have. And uh, the way that I do this is 
um, is really to, to help people understand through emotional intelligence that when we use our minds um, in, in, the, in the right way, we're able to, uh, to just understand people and believe in people more than maybe we otherwise would. So I just love uh, combining and marrying uh, diversity and inclusion with uh, emotional intelligence. And the other thing that I'll just the other thing I'll just add here is that um, I don't want to say this: having a more diverse workforce is not only helpful because it's making a positive difference, but it really this ability to solve problems with a multitude of opinions and perspectives really helps businesses bottom line. So be, being the devil's advocate for a second, um, uh, surely just throwing a bunch of diversity people, people of diverse backgrounds in the same room, that's not going to, that's not going to by definition, uh, make you better problem solvers. What else is required if you're going to throw people of different backgrounds? Conversation. Yeah. So Conversation and, be- and belief in each other. If you don't believe in the people sitting around the table with you, you're not going to, you're not going to get anywhere. So it's about dropping barriers, dropping these social physiques and these social barriers and just sitting down and having a conversation and getting to know each other and really listening with an open mind. I think one of the biggest problems with the diversity and inclusion space that I see right now is that we, we're, we're getting better. But we would be a lot better and a lot further along if more people had an open mind and a truly positive mindset. So let let me let me uh, put my spin on all of this. So there Please. are uh, there are um, of course thoughts that we've been talking pretty much about. But there's also the feelings the feelings component, you know, and how we feel about each other as 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 uh, Obi drives through the mountains of of uh, California and Oregon. Um, and you have to you have to have to communicate on both levels, both channels, as it were. So, Hobie, if you can still hear me, um, what do you make of this sort Peter, of I gotcha. okay? What do you make of this sort of feelings component? If you think that feelings play a part in all of this, how do you engage the feelings part in all of this in trying to diversify your workforce or to help people of diverse backgrounds work together? And and when you say feelings, I just want to make sure I fully understand what you mean. You mean emotions and, yeah. and, and the way people feel about each other? Yeah. Intuitions. Yeah. Emotions. Yeah. That's what yeah. I mean by feelings. Yeah. The whole, the Great whole question. feeling. Yeah. So talk about Great that. Great question. Yeah. And I think, I think it's about, again, it, it comes down to mindset, right? It comes down to just opening our minds and, and being willing to think about how one person perceives the world much differently than you might perceive it, Peter, than I might perceive it, than Bob might perceive it you know, then then Ray might perceive it. We all have different ways, but what we need to do is we need to be able to have a conversation. And if Bob maybe feels differently about something than I do, it's my, it's not only my uh, um, desire, but I feel like it's my responsibility to really put myself in Bob's shoes for a minute and think about his perspective and his feelings. And I think this all comes down to the word perspective and I'll just give a shout out to the name of your show in perspective, because I think it's all about uniting unique mindsets, uniting u- unique and positive feelings in one place through discussion. Peter, it sounds like your line of work. Well, he, I hope we not talked about this before more than once. 
So yes, it is my yeah. line of work, uh, and it's Hobie's line of work in, in a much different way than than I than I than I than I do it. So and, thank and you, Peter, Bob. I that. love your I, lo- I love your tagline, creating common ground. Can, and I'm sorry to throw the interview back to you, but can you tell us kind of what you mean by that? Because I think that's totally tied into what we're talking about here. Yeah. So um, my uh, sort of uh, tag in life is creating common ground where contention rules. And, and in fact, the that's subtitles of uh, that's a book. That's a book. Uh, two of my books actually have that subtitle. And it's sort of as you describe it, Hobie, and uh, you, you've, you've said it well, the idea of of telling stories, getting people together who who might not be used to working together and getting them to know each other in a way that makes them more co- comfortable and safe as it were working together. This whole idea of safe spaces is misunderstood by certain people. But the idea is you have to create safety in order for people to take risks. And you can't do that with, 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 uh, you know, uh, and so it's really important for people to get to know each other and how they think and how they feel and how they're, how that's different, how it's the same. Uh, and because you start, you start with this, you start this whole process in my experience by finding out where the common ground already exists. So maybe you're of different backgrounds, but you're both parents or you're both wine tasters or you're both dog lovers or you both love, uh, paprika, happy paprika or whatever it is. (laughs) Uh, and, and, and from there, you sort of build on those differences, those, those similarities and explore the differences. And as you do that, you become better problem solvers together. And, and, um, you you make it more likely that you'll come up with these creative solutions that all these businesses say they want. But it takes some hard work. You can't just throw people together and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna be business better business people. That's not the way it works. Uh, you know, you and, really have to make Peter, an effort to make that work. Peter, would you say it's it's an accurate statement that every single one of us, no matter where you look or where you go, has common ground, at least one point of common ground with everybody else? Usually a lot more than that. You know, uh, it's just yeah. a question of look, a, a question for looking for it. And I don't want to spend too much time on me, but I, I just, uh, and I'm sure hoping you have similar stories and I'll ask you to think of one in a second. But so when, when I used to work on the abortion issue, when we were working with pro-life and pro-choice activists who were deeply embedded in the abortion, uh, conflict, the first thing we would do is bring a pro-life and pro-choice person together and say, okay, we'd like you to go and have coffee together. Just sit down, but don't talk about abortion talk about anything else but abortion and what they what they would discover is they had lots of things in common they were parents they were grandkids the parents the way they go similar hobbies you know whatever it was and once they sort of saw that common ground then it was safer notice the word i use safer to sort of reach out and talk about the differences and and then ultimately find some common ground on the on the very contentious issue of abortion and so i would then turn around hoping and say can you think of an example in your life when you've, when you've either experienced that or help people, you know, discover that. Well, I just think it's amazing when you, when you unpeel the onion, you know, when you peel back to the layer of the onion, so to speak, what comes out of it? What, what things we find that are similar to us? So you and I were doing an employment seminar for ACB, Peter, and then you said, you know, I'd really like to have you on the podcast, which is a huge honor. And, and we started talking and we just realized that I don't think we have any, you know, areas where we think adversarially, but we just got talking and we realized that we're both huge fans of Dave Matthews. And that creates a whole framework of conversation. You and I could then talk for hours about that. 
And, and have. You know, it's things, and have, yeah. And yeah. have. Yeah. And it's things like this that, that really bring us to a new level with people. You know, and, and I've found this time and time again in my work. If I, if I find someone who I, you know, was, was brought together with for one reason, I get talking to them and instantly we're talking about things that have nothing to do with why we connected. Mm-hmm. And, what, and there's one other thing, and, and, and Hobie, you've, you've alluded to this, that I think is really, really critical. And that both people agree on a common mission or a common goal. That's, that's hard Amen to reach. That. Yeah. I mean, if, if people are, uh, are connected with a common goal, whatever that is, then, uh, you know, then it's much more likely you're going to be successful, but people really have to be Absolutely. committed to it. Yeah. Yeah. People have to really, Absolutely and it, it, right. And it's true with relationships too. So for example, you know, if, if, if it's, if you're, if you're, you know, trying to figure out if you want to have a committed relationship with somebody, one of the things you need to figure out is do you have a common goal or common mission or common thing that you want to do together? Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, whatever that is. Uh, because if you do, it's more likely you're going to be a successful couple. And in your case, right. uh, Hobie, you, you have this wonderful guy who's doing all kinds of cool things with you business wise. That's, that's, I'm sure. Yeah, but also, but also we share a lot of the same life passions, you know, and it right. works out. Right. And it's, yeah. And this is an amazing way, Peter, by the way, to, you know, whether it's a romantic relationship or a professional relationship, finding those areas where we can agree on very primitive principles of things, you know, just where we have that fundamental agreement, I think is so powerful. Yeah, I agree. So I want to, I want to, before we get too far down the road, um, one of the things that you, you talk a lot about, um, I've heard you talk a lot about, it's the whole issue of a positive outlook on life. Uh, and so yeah. talk yeah. about that and why that's so important to you. It's the only reason I've been able to do some of the stuff I've been able to do. You know, I, I won't, I'll say, do as I say, not as I do, because I have my negative dark moments. You know, everybody does. We all do. But I've, yeah. I've always been able to lift myself out of those moments and say, what is the bright side of this? Now, things like there are some health issues and things like that that are really hard to look at the bright side of, right? But, but really just, you know, I, I always ask people to, to look at their life in front, you know, that, that they've lived and to think if something tragic happened tomorrow, would I be proud of what I've done? Would I be satisfied with what I've done? We've all done awesome things. So that's the ability to really, really have a, have a positive outlook. Found on them. But then, but then the other one that I would say that I think is so important is just remembering to, to see the good in things and see the good in people. You know, this instructor who told me that, oh, you can't study chemistry. Way back in high school, I was able to show her, and I brought out the absolute best in her, and she not only became a supporter, but became one of my main mentors. And it's just, it's so important to have a positive and abundant mindset where anything is welcome and anything goes, because this is where we start to really break down our own barriers and how literally whatever it is we want to do, there will be nothing that stands in your way. If you tell yourself, I'm going to do everything and by looking at the bright side. And I don't want to sound like Miss Pollyanna or anything like that, but I I just want to say, if you can stay positive with everything you do, except for on your next COVID test, I hope you're negative there. uh, You're really, you're really doing great work and you're able to do, you'll find that your brain is the biggest asset you have 
in getting you to do things and maybe challenge yourself in ways you haven't, but it's also the biggest barrier. It's also the thing that holds us back the most if we let it. Hobie, it's time for us to open our show to the community. You are listening to In Perspective. I'm Bob Branco, and he's Peter Alchel. Our guest is Hobie, Dr. Hobie Wedler, chemist, entrepreneur, and positive thinker and creative person, too. I want to comment something on you said, Hobie. I think you missed a, a critical step in describing your experience with your chemistry professor and, and, and a high school teacher. I think it's a really important step that it's important to think about. So you had this really good idea about how can I sell this professor that uh, I can, I, I as a blind person can excel in chemistry. And so you had came with this really good argument, but there's a, there's a critical step. And the critical step is, am I confident that this teacher will listen to this argument? Right? Because if right. I'm not confident, then one of two things is going to happen. Either I won't make the argument at all, or I'll make yep. it in a way that, that won't be as effective. So there, you really do exactly need to right. have that. Yeah. So that, that's a really important part of all this that, you know, there's, there's, you're that so right. Step. Um, and, and you for it, I don't know what, you know, it may be subconscious on your part, but you had the idea this teacher would, would, was open to listening to your argument. And that's the only way we can really succeed is when we, when we advocate for each other and we, you know, we know that we'll be heard. Then there's no point in making a making an argument if we if we don't think we're honestly going to be heard. You're so right, Peter, and yeah, thank and you for pointing out that critical step because it's an important one. Hello, hello, uh, hello. yes, who's, yes, who's it's Brian Coppola. Hey, Brian. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Now, you have a Mr. question for Hobie? Yes, I do have a question for Mr. Hobie. Okay. Go ahead. Mr. Hobie, with your lab's chemistry background, have you ever thought about going into um, something like um, vaccinology um, or uh, making um, more accessible at-home tests for the blind? Question. I, I obviously can't answer Hobie's question, uh, except except to say, uh, that would be a really cool thing for somebody to do if Hobie's, you know, Hobie seems to be doing lots of interesting stuff. Uh, maybe he'll think about that. I know there's a whole lot of work being done in making science more accessible, uh, and also products more accessible to blind people. We need well, more there of that. Are, uh, just to elaborate a little bit on what Brian, what direction Brian might be headed, there are COVID tests now that if you use a smartphone, you can as a blind person, determine yourself whether you uh, you can find out yourself whether you're positive or negative based on the use of a smartphone if you're blind. Which I, that has its uh, positive and negative. Th- thank you, Brian. Uh, who, else, who else is on the on the um, call? Jane. Jane had a question. Uh, I don't All know right. if it's a question or a comment, but Jane, you are up next. Jane? Okay. Yes. Hi, Jane. So. I did not get to hear the first part of the program. I just am here, and I have read some books recently about chemists and chemistry, which have been such a comfort, because when I was in high school in the mid-60s, I was point-blank told, oh, Jane, you don't got to take chemistry. You won't need it in your life. That is just such a huge mistake that teachers sometimes need. And I love reading anyway. I just read a book called Chemistry for Breakfast or something like that. And it was just interesting 
to me and I go, yes, I understand that now that I didn't before. I always want to know what books. Okay. So I always want to know what books do you recommend so that we can better see the world in chemical balances as well and just better all around. So that's my question. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that question. Who, who is this, by the way? I'm Jane. I'm Jane T, as they call me here, or T Jane. Um, Hi, Jane. I, I, I really uh, value this program immensely because of the roots and the wings it gives people after topic after sure. topic. I'm glad oh, to no, be here. No, it's amazing. Go ahead, Colby. Uh, a couple of, couple of books come to mind for a few different reasons. Um, anything about Pauling, he's a scientist who invented vitamin C, but he just tells a really good story about what's about his name and about Linus, Linus L-I-N-U-S, Pauling. Definitely okay. worth reading his books, any of them that you can find. They're older. <laughs> the other book that I really like about abundance mindset is a book called, that you've all probably heard of, called Think and Grow Rich. And that is a book by... Um, Hill, and I'm trying to think of his first name. Napoleon. Um, Napo- Napoleon Hill. And that book to me, he, Napoleon Hill is a byproduct of the Dar- Dale Carnegie educational programs and really had time to work with people like Charles Schwab Sr. and, and some amazing thinkers, J.P. Morgan, just some really amazing figures who we hear of from the banking world. But he really taught me, and he had a deaf son in the 1930s, and understood how his son could totally live life and do what he wanted to do despite being deaf. So that book is just, please read Think and Grow Rich, because Mm -hmm. it's all about mindset and the fact that you can do whatever it is you want to do. But I think that we need to dream bigger than just the nonfiction. I read fantasy, and the reason I read fictional stuff is because I need my brain, I need my imagination to be better than ever as I move forward and as I think about business, because if I don't have an imagination, what what are the roadblocks there? But if I allow my brain to really imagine what what could be, then we're able to take dreams and hopefully make them realities. So I love the Harry Potter series. I love the Hunger Games series. I think there's so much to be learned from reading fictional material as well. Well, we oh, I want to go back. Go ahead. Never mind. I, well, when you say that there are several books that come to mind, but I don't know that this is a time to talk books, I can send a couple of titles to Peter and he can relay them to you that have really caused my imagination to live big. I love that. And I, 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 yeah. For, for, send them to me, Jay, and I'll forward them to Hobie. I will. I'm happy to do that. Now, I want to go back, Hobie. Uh, I don't know if you, if you heard the first question that was asked. Uh, and it had to do with, have you thought about finding ways to make, say, COVID tests more accessible, given your chemistry background, your science background? Or vaccinology. To, or vaccinology, to, you know, to, to, for blind folks. Have you something you've thought about, or what Absolutely. do you know about What that? was the name you used? Actionology? Vaccinology. Vax- that, vaccinology. Was, that was the call. Vaccinology. I never, I never heard it mentioned that way until Brian mentioned it. Vaccinology. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I actually was featured in a New York Times piece uh beginning of this year all about uh, talking all about the problem with COVID tests not being accessible and how can we make these things more accessible 
either with, you know, call-in services like Be My Eyes, or better yet, with things that change temperature. Uh, when, you know, if, if positive, they might become hot and, and emit exothermic uh, stuff. And if they're cold, if they're negative, they get a little cooler or stay room temperature. I have definitely thought about this because I think it's a big problem. I, uh, I was going to be doing some consulting and testing work for a large firm that, uh, that makes COVID tests or oversees the production of COVID tests, but haven't, uh, that hasn't started yet. But yeah, I've definitely thought about it. It's a great question, Brian. I really appreciate it. Uh, Hobie, just so you know, I have several tests that you can use with smartphones. And because I don't have a smartphone, I've been giving them away. And these oh, are for blind people. I, I don't know how accessible wow. those tests are. I've heard different things about those tests than the iPhones, um, So uh, about how accessible they are or aren't. Hobie, can you define for us non-chemists exothermic? Exothermic is when you put some two things together and they release energy into the environment. And that energy is released usually in the form of heat that we can feel. And endothermic is when we mix two things together and they react and they pull energy from the environment. And that's when they feel cold to us. So there's no real such thing as cold. Cold is just a lack of heat. And it's something that you're touching that has less energy than you have literally pulling energy in the form of heat away from you. Okay. Uh, we Thank have you. nine minutes to go. Um, so, Ray, are... I just wanted to check and see if you had any other um, raised hands. No, uh, no hands raised. Um, I did want to say uh, just, uh, and, I, and when I tried to interject before, Peter, I was trying to go circle back to the question from Brian as well. But also, um, in terms of those uh Bluetooth or, um, you know, the test that Bob was mentioning, I think there is a slight, uh, issue with the fact that, you know, there are tests that are out there there, but you have to have a smartphone. And as Bob said, he doesn't have one. So there is that population of, you know, people who, for whatever their reasons are, are unable to, um, and, and I've made that point. I think that's, yeah, I know. I'm, I and, made that and that's why so, Hobie, if you want to, you know, get involved more with this field. Uh, there are a lot of us who are blind who don't have the technology. I've been tooting that horn for a long time. It's great that the blind people with technology are able to access a lot of things. It's wonderful. I can do that myself for the most part, but we don't all own smartphones. And so when somebody makes a COVID test for the blind, oh, you've got to have a smartphone. That doesn't help me. doesn't help a lot of other blind right. people. No, I hear what you're saying, and that's really important. I'm going to take that to heart, Bob. Hey, Bob, I have a question for you. Yes. Can you tell me about Rosie's Place? Rosie's Place is a phone chat line. Okay. And I will invite you to appear on Social Time one Sunday evening. I would love to. correspond offline. I think you'd be an inspiration to my participants. Yeah, I I think you would be. I think you. you would be, too, actually. Yeah. Uh, Hobie, I want I want to go back uh, to this whole positive thinking issue because I there is a part of which I absolutely understand. You know that uh, if we have a positive pos- positive mindset, uh, it is more likely that uh, we will communicate that and, and get more stuff done. What worries me about uh, Napoleon Hill and other people like that is that they go too far in that direction because there there clearly yeah. is suffering in the world. There clearly are things that we need to. 
that we that we that we need not to be so positive about at times, you know. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, you know, uh, we need to be you know, both optimists and realists. Right. And how do you sort of balance that? How, how do you sort of uh, you know, like, well, let's let's go back to your chemistry professor example that we were talking about, where you had this great argument, and you you intuitively decided that this professor uh, would listen to that argument. I, it sounds like it was sort of an intuitive feeling more than a thought process that you went through. Supposing you and, and your professor did not get along, for example, right? And so you think that's a great argument, but it might be kind of unsafe, as it were, to make that argument in, to this particular professor. Would you make it anyway? Or how, how, how do you sort of balance that and be wise about this stuff? <laughs> It's a really interesting question, and I have to say, Peter, that I make a point, especially when I'm working with a professor, to talk to them and ease their mind at the very beginning of the year or the semester or the quarter and say, we're a team. You can learn from me how to work best with a blind person, and I'm going to learn from you how to uh, study the material that you have to teach, and we're going to do this together, and I've only had three, two or three professors ever that I didn't get along with and that didn't totally appreciate me and me sitting in front and always raising my hand and saying, hey, you need to explain this and make it more accessible to me. Um, really doesn't, hasn't happened to me that much. With the three that I didn't get along with, there was no hope. So I just, I just kind of gave up and, and said, well, I, I got to move on to the next class. I can't, I, you know, I'll, do the, I'll do what I can to survive in your class, but if you don't think I should be in here, there's not much I can do. And and most of those classes were taught by the one person once a year, and I really couldn't couldn't do anything about that. The best, you know, if there's something that really bothers you, I think the best thing to do is say, hey, we have, we've got some stuff to talk about, and if that doesn't work, if they're just unwilling to listen, you just you just deal with them, and they'll be they'll be away soon enough. Now, I, I do think that there's a really important um, point to be made here around being truly optimistic and positive minded, but also to be a realist and to understand that, hey, all this stuff that's happening in the world that we might not agree with, that's not positive, but we can change it if we have that positive mindset. We can say, Let's figure out what the true issue is and, and figure out how to solve it if we have the power to do so. One of the biggest problems is that, you know, a lot of the power is held in politicians and in world leaders and this sort of thing. And I think oftentimes we don't necessarily have the power to make the change that we want to so deeply want to make in the world. And I think the question in those circumstances is that what, what small thing can we do to make that change more likely to happen? It may, or exactly. as, one of, as one of my friends used to say, how can we move the football, you know, six inches, you know, Quickly, not a exactly. hundred yards, but, but six inches. Yes. Yes. Ray. Sorry, Peter. Roger, you are up next. I believe you'll be our last, uh, part. More than likely. Question or hey, Roger. So Roger. I'm here. Yes. Go ahead, Roger. Yeah, I just wanted to say, uh, to Hobie that, uh, it, that was my experience was that, uh, that was a very positive experience to, to work with professors when I was in college and graduate school. In fact, yeah. I felt that in those days we didn't have uh, offices for the disabled and we had to pretty much invent our own relationship with the professor. And very often it was 
going to his office and having him orally present the exam to me. And I, I met more cool professors that way. I got to be friends with him that way. And I, I really believe that that, that, that helped. Um, so just wanted to reinforce that. Uh, Hobie, did we lose you again? Oh, no, you're there. No, Hobie. you got me here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yes. go ahead. Yes. Roger, Hobie? what did you study? Oh, I ended up majoring in psychology, and, uh, and then I went to Cornell and uh, almost got a Ph.D. in it. <laughs> I'm one of those Ph.D. dropouts. <laughs> And isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing, Roger, I just want to want to point out a corollary to your comment there. Isn't it amazing how much more we can get done when we're friends with people and not enemies? Yeah. Yeah. I, as I said, I really, I really got to know some really great people that way. Who are my I professors. I just so, love it. So, Hobie, uh, I know we're running out. Of, thank you, Roger. Well, we have one minute, by the way. So, so Hobie, uh, uh, it's you know uh, ending 2022, going to 2023. Happy New Year! What 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 uh, thoughts and do you have to convey as you go into a new year? You know what I would say is number one. I've got three things here. Number one, remember to appreciate those people who appreciate you too, and and give back to them. Really keep the the road two sided, not just taking but also giving. Number two, we've all, we are all here because of wonderful mentors. And remember to thank those mentors every chance you get. And number three, try to look on the bright side as much as you can, even in the darkest of times, and be optimistic. And if anyone wants to get a hold of me, you can get me at Hobie at HobieWedler.com or by visiting the URL HobieWedler.com and filling out a contact form. Well, thank you very much, Hobie, for taking the time being on the program today um we all and i'll say this we all shared a lot of chemistry on the program today so uh, good luck sure with your, uh, yes good luck with your future endeavors keep up the good work and maybe at one of our local supermarkets one day we'll find some hobie wine to purchase for one of our house parties. you may you may well and uh Bob and Peter, I, I don't want to be a stranger. Please, let's uh, let's keep in touch and let's figure out what we can do together. You let's, will let's, not be a stranger by any means, Toby. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you. We'll bring you back on. We'll bring you back on sometime. We certainly will. That'd Thank be you. fun. Yeah. Next week, we're going to have author Sally Rosenthal. She wrote a book called Peonies in Winter. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. That's how Jaws pronounces it, anyway. Peonies in Winter. Exactly correct. Okay, good. I'm glad that's correct. Thank you, everybody. Happy New Year. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. Thank you, Peter, Hobie, Ray, our participants. Take care, everyone. Happy New Year!